Hello. Hey. Hello. Um, I need to discuss business. Okay. Uh, before we get cracking on with the show. Is, is this like podquisition business or, or more general business? It's podquisition business. Okay. It's podquisition. Now, now, listeners might wonder uh, why I wouldn't have discussed uh, business with you before we hit record, but everyone has to go along with the conceit here. Right. Yeah, you know, I, I have no questions about why we're doing a business meeting on the air, but, you know, yeah. that, that, that's just how we do things. But here's, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give you the straight shake, mm-hmm. right? The economy's hitting us everywhere, okay? It's true. Times are tough. My fucking energy bills skyrocketed along with everyone else's. We got to bring in some money. Okay, okay. And okay. I think it's finally time to do something I never wanted to do and monetize the podcast. Okay. Now hear me out and don't be mad. At what I've done. That's how my favourite sentences start, is don't be mad. Just hear me out and don't be mad. I've already done a thing, please don't be mad. Yeah. That's how my favourite business meetings go. So, and again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Um, mostly because what I've made will involve a lot of beating around the bush, <laughs> in a literal sense. But... I've been looking at monetization. I've been looking um, more closely at merchandise opportunities. Mm-hmm. And if there's one thing I've picked up from uh, our listenership, it's that all three of us, in many ways, are sexual icons. Oh, yes. I hear that about myself a lot. Yeah. I like to think that. Yeah. 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 In, in all in our own different ways, we are all just irresistible uh, magnets yeah. of, of raw attraction. Well, between Conrad's hairy virility, mm. Laura's ass and my tits, uh, I think together... <laughs> We would make one hell of an amalgam. <laughs> I, I mean, you're not wrong. Yeah. Uh, but as speaking as someone who likes to be objectified and therefore assumes everyone else does too, because I relate to people by assuming that my likes is everyone else's likes, I have made a couple of sex dolls. Oh. Of us. Oh. Okay. Okay. Uh, they're very lifelike. Basically, they're they're three blow up dolls I, I bought from the local sex shop. I've painted one of their heads blue, um, drawn in biro hair all over one of them, and then uh, just attached a couple of basketballs to the chest of the other one. But where this really comes into its own is, and you're going to be very excited about this. I've installed voice modules, oh, so that people, while they're boffing us, can. <laughs> Hear the authentic sounds of us having sex. I see. Wow. And all you've got to do, all you've got to do is is slide a cheeky finger up the bum hole <laughs> uh, and, and then just sort of um, wiggle your digit around uh, until you find the button. Uh, a bit like those ones you get in birthday cards that sing at you. I mean, look, I, that, that took a turn because I don't know why this is what I assumed, but I assumed it was just going to be playing like audio clips from Podquisition. Oh, no. Like, you're fucking away at this inflatable doll while, you know, getting a review of, of, of uh, whatever it is we've been playing this week. Heavens no. Heavens no. It's multitasking. I, <laughs> I, I have uh, sourced genuine sexual sound clips of us. Um, if I just get the... Uh, hang on get conrad's one here 
Uh, right. Here we go. Do it, do it, oh yeah. Do it, do it, oh yeah. Oh my, where did you get this? So, so when you were here for Thanksgiving the other year and wanted to check all of the corners of my yeah. bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. I, I uh-huh. may have I may have slipped in a little recording device. This is this is this is not an invasion. This is fine. I don't think it is. This is fine. I mean I mean <laughs> Um, I've got Laura's. I, I mean, I have, I have zero questions about how you got a hold of mine. Let's, let's hear it. Now. One hundred percent historically accurate. I think you'll agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've look. I've been keeping my um my foreign language learning uh on the down low, but but yeah, you know, there's just times where it all comes out. Yeah, um, literally. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Depending on how how much some uh, what some of our listeners might like to cream pie these uh, uh, inflatable podquisition pals, um, <laughs> and of course, there's mine. So uh, I think that people are going to really, really enjoy uh, these new products. Um, I, I, hopefully that, that brings in a little money. Uh, I can think of at least three people listening to this right now that would want a sex doll of me, certainly. Um, so I was thinking of charging... I don't know. How, how much was my council tax bill? Uh, £1,198. H. Cool. Hang on, you got it. Is that with or without shipping? Uh, well, I mean, if people want to ship us, then they're going to have to buy multiple <laughs> ones, aren't they? <sighs> Welcome to Podquisition, everyone. Oh. I was in the bath about an hour ago, and I was excitedly sourcing um, soundboards and voice modulators for for unrelated reasons, but I was very giddy uh, about the whole thing. Um, as, as well, you should be. How is everyone? I'm I'm good. I'm good. I have, I've 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 been I've I've had a busy few days, mm. but a very productive few days. I've been I've been really sort of going all out and excellent. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good. That's good to know. Um, yeah. Conrad, are you yes. uh, in good humor, good spirits? Uh, yeah, all things. I'll, yeah, I saw Weird Al Yankovic uh, oh. last weekend, and that was delightful. Yeah, it was. It was very, very. I mean, this, this. Uh, I think the tour's over now. I think we were the second to last stop on it, and uh, it. He'd done this four years prior, where they pretty much just played originals and not any of the parody stuff, and. Right. wasn't a big, you know, stage show with costume changes. They're very intimate, very small venue, very small seats <laughs> that have really fucked up my shoulders. Uh, but the show was was fantastic. Emo Williams opened up, told a great joke. 
about his sister's boyfriend who's German complaining that he can't get good bagels in Germany and and emo saying in response well whose fault is that um just beautiful um yeah so i'm i'm in good spirits lovely lovely i'm doing all right myself yeah uh, just men- mentally preparing for my match in leeds on friday Ooh, night big night thought it was saturday for a while till i worked out that the 4th of november was indeed friday mm. um so yeah uh, but 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 that should be good. It's it's certainly a grudge match against the comedian Nathan Black. If anyone uh, watched the Road to Redemption series on the True Grit Wrestling YouTube channel, uh, you'll see that this man um, has made fun of the way I look and and act and sound and dress. Um, has attacked me from behind and on social media. He's been going after Phoenix. He's been making fun of my name changes and and the the nature of our relationship. Nathan Black is like the biggest arsehole I've ever met in wrestling, so I'm going to kick his fucking head off. I'm very happy about that. Uh, but otherwise, I'm, I'm all right. Been working hard on video game reviews. Yeah. The Bayonetta 3 review is up on thegymquisition.com right now, and we will, of course, be talking about that a little later on the show. Um, and yeah, just, just found out that I might be getting my ADHD meds sooner than I thought I would, um, or rather reacquiring them after the nhs uh stripped me of them uh so yeah pretty positive also we uh officially announced kaleidoscope yeah uh the next spectrum wrestling show on november 19th tickets available at buy tickets at slash spectrum wrestling our first match has been announced it's myself and priscilla queen of the ring aka queens of the space age versus axel the clown and freaky felicia the freak show what a fucking match what a fucking match indeed what a fucking match is that oh. um i can also confirm simon miller um, will return to uh, this time in in-ring competition uh, and we've got all manner of, of PPW sourced uh, colourful talent coming in it's going to be great going to be great my thing I'm going to I'm going to pitch up up top of the show and we'll talk about the game in a, in a little bit when we get to talking about the games but hey Go go watch the like twenty plus minute long uh, God of War Ragnarok accessibility video that will be up on YouTube.com/LauraKBuzz when this uh, this episode goes out. Put a lot of effort into a very big video there, and I'm really really happy with how it turned out, and I really want people to go check it out. So go check out that God of War Ragnarok accessibility video. Certainly, yeah. I'll be talking about accessibility with one of the games I'm talking about as well. Yeah. Um, you might be interested to uh, uh, discuss that one. Well, should we should we get into some of the some of the games we've played? Oh, yeah, please. Let's do it. Who's who's got a thing they want to talk about? What we? How many games have people played? That's usually the best way of working it out. I think like whoever's played the most can kick us off. I think Comrade's only played one. I think that's right. Okay, uh, I've played two, and and well, two and a bit. Let's say. Okay. Okay. I've played. Uh, sort of three. So I'll I'll start, I guess. Let's just kick off with it from the start. I've been playing God of War Ragnarok. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have s- not finished that game by any stretch of the imagination. So, like, this is review thoughts from the perspective of having put, like, three full, like, pretty full days into playing it. I've seen enough of it to mechanically and narratively have, I think, a pretty good sense of it. God of War Ragnarok starts off largely feeling like what you would expect from a sequel to the 2018 God of War. Mm-hmm. And I say that largely as a positive thing. Um, it is, at least in its opening hours, very much mechanically what you expect, 
visually, gameplay-wise, it is God of War 2018, but more of it. It's called Ragnarok, it's no spoiler to say, big, big, big event Ragnarok is coming, we should probably do something about that. Where the game gets more interesting to me is, as it goes deeper, and I'm I'm trying to work out how to talk about this in, in like, the least spoilery way possible, because this game's, like, still a week out, uh, away from release when I talk about it now. God of War Ragnarok makes some interesting choices, narratively and gameplay-wise, that to me, as someone who has not finished this game, suggests um, potentially setting up a different direction for the series in the future. And the potential future of the series it presents is really interesting, and I really hope that it commits to what it seems to be setting up, because it is throwing a lot of interesting mechanical changes around, and some interesting characters being given more focus, that I really hope is a signifier of where this game is sort of ultimately going. Go watch my full accessibility video that is up if you want to get like a full rundown, but like I want to give a little, a little shout out to some of the stuff here. This is a huge improvement accessibility-wise on the first God of War, uh, or the 2018 God of War, uh, which had basically nothing in the way of accessibility settings. It barely had subtitles that could be made larger than like 12-point font and some very basic audio sliders. This does a really good job in terms of... You know how The Last of Us 2 and the, the recent re-release of Part 1 on PS5 have, like, really in-depth accessibility stuff you can go through before first boot of the game? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This has a similar setup, but it also has an optional, like, button at the start that's like, do you want to just get to the start menu? You're not worried about accessibility? Cool, there's a button for you. If not, here's our nice guided setup. There's some really nice tweaks in there, things like uh, a lot of the accessibility presets for things like vision, motor, auditory disabilities are not just a one-size-fits-all preset uh, like they were in The Last of Us, you have a partial and a complete preset per disability, uh, which is like a really nice option to have. Largely, this has basically everything that like you would expect if you looked at, say, The Last of Us 2 as a, a benchmark. Some of it's not executed quite as well. Um, the, the biggest issue I have right now is that high contrast mode character models are not independently lit compared to the lighting of the rest of a scene, which means that sometimes high-contrast mode character models are not at all high-contrast. Um, it is not a frequent issue, but it's frequent enough that, like, it's a problem. Sometimes light high-contrast mode character models on light backgrounds in light settings will not really be visible. Same for dark colours on characters in dark settings. But, like, generally, really, really good set of accessibility stuff uh, available. It's kind of tricky to to know how much I can talk about because this this the review embargo for this game is one of those review embargoes that is incredibly vague about certain specifics in a way that makes it hard to know exactly what I can get away with talking about. Mm. But I think I can say this. In terms of writing, I think that uh generally I've really enjoyed the overall dialogue writing, the characterization and the writing of dialogue between multiple characters building uh, relationships over time, I think that has been really solid. I think that occasionally the game trips up with issues of 
building character development and then forgetting that it did that five minutes ago for just a second because it wants to have some conflict because it needs some conflict for a second. Like, it generally, like, it doesn't do a great job always, um, and it's not super frequent this happens, but it occasionally has issues with forgetting its own character development because it needs characters to fight for something. But I'm very interested in the plot. I am glad that the game has given a lot more room to exploring Atreus as a character distinct from his specific journey with Kratos and him as his own person. Atreus as a character has definitely aged up a few years in this and is in a position of, I am a teenager that feels kind of stifled by the fact that my dad is trying so hard to keep me safe that he is really holding on tight. And that uh, has led to some really interesting uh, changes in dynamic that have been really nice to play through. Some of the narrative beats have been like, th this morning I went swimming, and on the walk home from swimming, I, I was I was talking talking to, to to my wife Jane, and going, I bet you by the end of the game this is going to happen and this gameplay mechanic's going to be introduced. I got home and within half an hour both of those things happened. <laughs> like, it's got a certain degree of like, okay, you are very heavily foreshadowing. But the things that you very heavily foreshadow are so cool that I really don't mind when it happens. I'm like, yeah, I saw it coming, but it's cool that I can do it, though. Yeah. Mechanically, not that different thus far from... It takes, it takes a few hours to start introducing things that are mechanically different from the first game. I feel like there are more interesting ideas for puzzle design than the first game had, and some of the new puzzle mechanics it has introduced have been used to really strong effect, not just when they're introduced, but throughout. Yeah, there's a limit to how much I can say, because like I haven't finished playing it, but right now I'm really enjoying God of War Ragnarok with, like, the biggest complaint I have is occasionally character development is put aside because we need you to fight for a second, when that's the biggest complaint I have about a game like this, I, I, I'm very much enjoying it. And I, yeah. I, I, I didn't want to put it down to record this. I wanted to keep going, which is always a good sign. I'm having a good time with a, with a game like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's too spoilery to say, but do they do much to, as far as Atreus goes, do they do much to follow up on the sort of reveal at the end of the last one with his sort of character? Yeah, so... I, I, I... Obviously, I, I am somewhat limited in what I can say specifics, but I think it's. I think I can. I can say this. Atreus is very, very focused on what was learned at the end of of the first game, and Atreus at the start of this adventure very much wants to focus on that, and Kratos does not, and there is some initial tension in. Kratos wanting Atreus to say safe, whereas Atreus is like, you can't just drop that big of a narrative bombshell on me and not expect me to be curious as fuck. Which, again, I think leads into the whole idea of this being a story of a teenager wanting to go and and do their thing and a protective parent being like, that, that feels like it's just going to lead to bad shit. I don't... I know you want to know, but I want to keep you safe. Yeah. I think it's fair to say a big focus, like a, a a major focus of this game is Atreus 
wanting to follow up on the ending of the first game. And so far, the answers that have been provided there have been really satisfying. And really interesting. Cool, cool. But yeah, God of War Ragnarok. Um, by this time next week, I will have finished it and I'll be able to come back around before the game is out to be like, yeah, how do I feel now it's done? What about you, Steph? What have you been playing this week? So the big one, uh, of course, for me, um, and the review can be read on thegymquisition.com. Do the the. People be getting malware warnings if they don't do the the. It was funny when it was a hentai site. That's not so funny. Um, but yes, the big one um, I've been playing these past, um, this past week is Bayonetta 3. A great game when it's Bayonetta. <laughs> when it's a Bayonetta game, it's really fucking good. But it seems to hate being a Bayonetta game. Um, it certainly hates staying a Bayonetta game. So the, the actual Bayo stuff is really good. One thing I keep harping on about when I talk about it is the weapons. They're so fucking good. Yep. Bayonetta has always had good weapons. Um, but this one, like, you start off obviously with the, the guns that are on her feet and, and held in her hands, and she turns into a butterfly woman this time around, which already is awesome. Um, the guns are called Color My World, which already is awesome. Then you start unlocking new weapons. And the yo-yo that turns you into a spider is <laughs> on the conservative end of the potential weapons. The one I keep talking about is the train that the train that she holds in her hands that's also a chainsaw, aka a train saw. Oh <laughs> beautiful. Right? They don't call it that. I called it that, so in a way, I'm a. This is why I should write for more games. Yeah, right. This is what got me the Vampire Survivors gig. Is that kind of razor sharp prose? Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, Phoenix watched me play a little bit, and the moment uh, they saw the train, they said, "Oh, show Laura." Um, I figured you were already. I knew you were already playing. Don't it. worry, I'm aware of the train. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh no, they they uh, should have seen this by now. Yes, the train is awesome. Uh, it's wheels turn into a chainsaw when bayonetta swings it and she can also jump on top of it and ride it into things and then turn into a half trained woman while buzzsaws all like fly out of it uh it's awesome there's a mic stand that you wield like a trident and then you turn into a fish and sing into it brilliant more of that the most fun weapon you don't get until like a few chapters before the end. This sort of uh, cape and top hat that you do magic tricks with. Um, it's just fucking good. Uh, so yeah, all the weapons are great. Everything else outside of what Bayonetta should be is awful. And the problem with this game is it constantly interrupts itself. Constantly goes on little divergences. Sort of like the game structure equivalent of a tangent. Do, do you not enjoy stopping to do side-scrolling stealth segments? They are so unforgivable. They're so bad. I mean, I, mean, I kind of like them. <laughs> they're boring, they're bland, they're mechanically unsatisfying. Uh, the controls are shit. The game, like, it still uses the sense of inertia and movement, animation and controls. As Bayonetta in the actual real gameplay sections. It's not cut out for that. It's not cut out for 2D stealth. I just found them constantly getting in the way. Same goes for the Viola sections where you're playing as, as Viola, um, who has one weapon 
and only summons one demon instead of like all these really like massive interesting demons that Bayonetta is always summoning and all the different weapons Viola's got a katana which you know it's bad enough you get one weapon a katana like you couldn't get more bog standard video game weapon um the demon she she summons is cool but it like controls itself so it's just she plays exactly like Bayonetta but way more boring and even when you play as Bayonetta, there's constant distractions that, that are not fun. The platforming puzzles to um, open up chests and things. I gave up doing them at the, by the end of it. Like the fucking Super Mario style thing where bits of blocks fly around and you've got a limited time to platform around to get them. Bayonetta doesn't control well enough for for jumping on little platforms. Um, she's not designed for that. Uh, and And... It's annoying because if you want to like upgrade your health and your magic meters, you do have to engage with that stuff, even though it's on paper optional. I hate the platforming sections. I hate the optional challenge areas. I've never cared much for them in any of these games. They're in Devil May Cry. They're in the Bayonettas where you go to a small little arena and it's like, you know, kill however many enemies without getting hit once or kill all these enemies in a really strict time limit. They annoy me at the best of times, but in this one, they're especially unimaginative. Really sort of boring little arena and um, just, you know, pick up an enemy three times with this summon. It's like just fucking dreary. There's just a whole bunch of stuff like that. Like, there's a a shmup section at one point, a Battletoad-style bike section at one point. The demon riding segments are fucking dreadful. Um, There are times where Bayonetta will jump on one of her demon's backs and then run through some sort of, like, chase sequence. um, And they're just, like, a visual nightmare. The camera can't keep up with it. The demon is huge, so you can't see much of the surroundings. It moves rapidly. Uh, There's constant dazzling effects on screen. Uh, I can't see what the fuck's going on. I can't process what's happening. Uh, And and on top of that, they control like shit. Then you've got the one-on-one kaiju battles, which uh, set themselves up like a street fighter or something, like a 2D fighter, Um, except there's just like one move each is mapped to the face buttons and you press it and then just watch a really slow animation take place and it's sort of like a guessing game almost with timing it so that you hit a really slow attack before the enemy hits a really slow attack it's just so laborious and as i said in the review it reminds me of near which you know very famous for being an action game, very similar sort of platinum style action game that constantly fucks with its own genre. Uh, I remember um, sort of the original Nier back in the day suddenly becoming like a text adventure uh, or Nier Automata having um, various different um, gameplay modes like the, uh, the little shoot 'em up sections for hacking and stuff like that. Nier does that stuff really well as a series. It's really good at subversion, and the genre bending it does is all done really well and interesting. Whereas in Bayonetta 3, it's like, and I've seen games do this before, it's like, we're doing a a different type of gameplay. The fact that we're doing that is gimmicky enough that we don't actually have to make the gameplay good beyond that. It's enough that we're doing a shmup section, because hey, it's variety, never mind that it's really boring. And then the game is just like this constantly. It's doing a poor impersonation of Nier, which is a shame because the game is fucking good. 
it's really good, but it's only good when it's Bayonetta, and it's so obsessed with being things that aren't itself, and doing none of them well, uh, and, and that really holds it back. It's, it is a good game. It's a really good game, and it's fucking fun, and the train saw alone is worth the price of entry. Uh, there is one of these little divergent genre shifts that is good, and it is like right near the end there's this rhythm section that is really fucking cool the music is awesome and the gameplay is sort of kind of mechanically interesting uh, but it's one section really short near the end other than that uh, other complaints are I, I don't like the homunculi as enemies the angels that you fight and the demons that you fight in the first two games are so visually interesting I love the angels in Bayonetta, sort of looking like they're made of ivory with golden masks and these sort of cherub faces, like old school angel uh, depictions. And you fight a couple of them in optional sections in the game, and all it does is highlight how the how shit the homunculi are, that are just sort of these indistinct white shells with, with vague blue gel inside them. So that's a shame. Plus, the final boss fight is too long-winded. It goes on for fucking ages and features about half a dozen climaxes that end with sudden anti-climaxes, where it's like, oh, this big sort of awesome big damn hero moment happens. Oh, wait, now it's brought us right back down to zero and peril. Oh, but wait, this thing is happening and it's big and excited and this is your big conclusion. Oh, wait, here's more. That drags out. Uh, it's a lot of complaints. Uh, for what is a really good game that if it had just remained consistently itself would have been fucking superb. I I'm going to very quickly throw some thoughts in having been playing. Mm -hmm. I don't fundamentally disagree with you with a lot of what you're saying. I feel like I have just personal tastes, some different feelings on some of it. I think that some of the side diversions are definitely not as strong mechanically as the, the core gameplay loop. I think where I differ is I found them short and short enough diversions that I enjoyed doing a little side thing and coming back. I didn't hate them. I I I enjoyed them while going, yeah, this is clearly a side thing and not the main thing you do. I kind of enjoyed the kaiju battles. Some people did. I I know you're not alone there. Yeah, and like here's the thing. All of your criticisms of them are entirely fair and reasonable. I just kind of enjoyed the spectacle enough to not really care. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, you know, that's media criticism for you, is is a lot of it will always be taste. Yeah, I, I think, like, the main places where I differ from you are just... Yeah, I, ag I agree that, like, the, the platforming, side-scrolly stuff, the, um, you know, is not as enjoyable as the core gameplay, but... My ADHD is whatever kind of flavour that just really appreciated a little bit of novelty sprinkled in every now and then and was like, oh, new thing. I enjoyed I enjoyed the spectacle of the kaiju battles enough that like I didn't mind that it was just a bit button mashy. And um Viola, I know that like mechanically a bit more simple of a of a of a combat system, I wasn't nearly as put off by that. I personally enjoyed the shake up in combat uh, style but again that's 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 just personal taste like all of the criticisms you've made are things that i look at and go yeah yeah to to, to greater or lesser degrees i do agree with a lot of what you've said mm -hmm. yeah it, it just depends on how much you 
are in the mood for little side diversions and big spectacle in between your uh, what is admittedly like the the core of the gameplay. I mean, if they were just little side diversions, that'd be fine. But the game, it, there's so much of it, and. I mentioned this in the review as well, but I want to just sort of yeah. uh, mention it here for posterity. Um, don't give me a brand new, awesome-looking weapon that I'm excited to try if you're then going to give me not one, but two levels that don't let me play as the character that has it. Yeah. That is bad game direct. That is just bad directing. That is bad design. I feel like what they were going for was, uh, oh, a bit, you, we've, you build up the anticipation, get excited to come back to it, but I don't think that lands. No, I mean, they built up anticipation by introducing alternate Bayonettas that have that shit. Like, that's the anticipation. That's like, yeah. I see Bayonet, like uh, some alternate universe Bayonetta um, with, you know one of these weapons um, or, or one of the demons turning up and I'm like, okay, I'm stoked to try that. And then it's like, oh, no, no, no. You want the train saw? Fuck you. Now here's a 2D side-scrolling uh, stealth <laughs> section. Um, and I understand I could fire up the training room or play a level I've already beaten if I want to try it immediately. But that's its own pacing issue. Yeah. No matter what you do, the game's pacing has been fucked by this. And I know Bayonetta 3 is not the only one that does it because I feel like... I can't think of any games off the top of my head, but I know I've had this feeling before where I'm like, this game game's given me a cool new thing and now i can't use it i mean i know devil may cry 5 a couple of times did that yeah that seems familiar yeah yeah the only other thing i will say while staying very spoiler free is that having finished it i feel like i have some increased understanding of what some of the uh stuff hinted at by bloomberg regarding voice actor stuff was relating to um, there is definitely some context for um, some of what was sort of vaguely talked about. Well, some understanding that comes from knowing what that narrative is. Yeah. Also, you know, as as has been discussed on the Jimquisition this past week, uh, Helena Taylor is a is a scumbag. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I do feel shitty on some level for platforming her at the beginning. Um, I mean, I made the mistake millions of people made, um, and I still, you know, I wanted to focus yeah. it very much on the actual issue of voice actors in the industry. Uh, so I don't regret doing that, but like, yeah. you know, she's done such an impressive job of destroying her sympathy with everyone. Cause the hardcore gamers TM that don't care about her being transphobic, um, because you know, a lot of people in that hardcore TM community are transphobic themselves. They're upset with her because she lied about platinum games one of their holy sacred cows and then people like me left-leaning industry critics fucking hate her now because her politics are so fucking monstrous here's the thing about it that was really frustrating for me like with a bit of distance i was made aware of some of the people some of the transphobic people she was following right when that story first dropped and i sat there going like i really wanted like fucking point that out because i see so many people going like yes this is our, our lord and savior we need to like lift up as a thing but i was like I don't want to I don't want to be that person that t turns the conversation off of the very important um you know topic of voice actor stuff so I fucking stayed quiet about it. It's tough to negotiate that, yeah. It's tough to negotiate like can I talk about this person being a shitty person without that coming across as me trying to deflect yeah. 
And plenty of people did. Yeah. And and I didn't know, unfortunately, till the first Jimquisition on, on this um, story went up. And then in the second one, I made mention of it in passing. And then, of course, on this past one, it was like, well, fuck it. She's... Yeah. Even though the, the real important story is that voice actors overall need better union negotiation and, and better treatment, as a separate story... Watching a former Bayonetta voice actor go from um, intensely sympathetic to losing the good graces of everybody is an incredible story in its own right. Yeah. It is an incredible story. I know some people are like, well, they didn't want to hear about it for a third week in a row. Um, but but I personally think it is uh, uh, quite a phenomena, uh, phenomenon to to see. Yeah. Although, funnily enough, I do like some of the people that were like, oh, oh, you were completely on her side until the anti-abortion thing came out, and now she's a monster. You're being selective. And I'm like, mate, I did not know the extent of this shit. And I was on the side of voice actors deserving better compensation. Yeah. It's it's not being on her side. It's being on the side of voice actors deserve better pay. Yeah, the side of the angels, as she put it in her wishy washy turf flavored um, comment on trans rights. The side of the fucking angels. Which, like I, you know, yeah, I do want to emphasize what I emphasized on the Jimquisition with that. I know, like. A cis person who doesn't have much experience with gender criticals might look at that and think, well, at worst, she's being centrist. She's saying, you know, oh, she doesn't want saber rattling. She's does she doesn't want to say trans rights because she doesn't want to be divisive. That's the other reason why I didn't bring up the transphobia like right at the start of all this is because I just fucking knew that if I went on Twitter and was like, hey, look at who Helena Taylor's following. Looks like she's a big old transphobe. I would have gotten so many fucking like bad faith responses yeah. of like well maybe she's following that person for other reasons or maybe she doesn't know yeah. that that's a dog with maybe she's accidentally following transphobes you can't assume she's transphobic it's a gender critical favorite is is yeah. come up with something is it's plausible deniability uh, i mean a lot of them have dropped even that even jk rowling's been dropping that mask now but yeah, the plausible deniability of say something that on the surface looks centrist at worst, but then you look at the language used, uh, trans rights um, reduced to saber rattling, a uh, very explicit use of the word female, which is a gender critical favourite. Mentioning all these people that she's um, on the side of who are reasonable people, but explicitly not mentioning trans people even though the question was about trans people instead she was like oh i i agree with all sorts of people whether they're uh, uh you know um a brexiteer or a remainer or or black or white yeah every, every pair of groups other than uh the one involving trans people yeah and then you take it in the context that she uh is an anti-abortionist uh and that group who, who i explicitly refused to name are also like like homophobic and like it's all the stuff. Yeah. It's they're anti-abortion in in um, mission, but their sort of propaganda also points out how evil uh, it is to be gay and all of this. You take that context, then who she's following, then look at that statement through the experience that myself and Laura have both had. Both of us have spent years. Hell, even before I came out, I, I spent years arguing with TERFs. Um, and of course, the, the abuse only... Well, they ignored me before I came out, and now they, they sort of do their best to harass me. Uh, but you and I 
have seen this rhetoric so many times. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry for the big diversion there, but, but no, no, but, you know, no. I, it's, fucker. Yeah, fucker indeed. Conrad, what have you been playing this week? Uh, well, the only thing I played this week of note is uh signalis this is a yes Ooh, this, mm. that's one i've that's the other one i've been playing i yes i was aware of that which is yeah. why i stayed so quiet while y'all were figuring out who was gonna go first uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so i've got a lot of thoughts on this but Do please you? share yours sir well it's okay so it's a horror third person kind of homage to Resident Evil, but more explicitly Silent Hill. Yeah. There's uh, a couple of games like this. It's yeah. it's very much like how you've got like the retro uh, spell, which I didn't come up with this word, but everyone loved it when I mentioned it in the review. Retro spell R-E-T-R-A-U-X. Oh, um, clever. Yeah, retro. like that. Yeah. Um, you get a lot of first-person shooters that sort of copy Doom and Blood, and they're all mm-hmm. really quite good. Um, most of them are, you know, Proteus, Cultic, uh, a medieval um loads of those are good you also have a little subgenre of horror games yep. that are also doing this psx era resident evil silent hill unlike with retro first person shooters retro survival horrors are largely shit um back in 95 i fucking despise vaccine is one of the worst games ever Signalis is is uh, probably the best of these I've played, but yeah, sorry, sorry, went on the Sandra, but, but yeah, just to point out, there's this is part of a subgenre. Yeah, this this has become a subgenre over the last like five years or so. I, yeah. I would say, and um, and yes, this is a very very good example of a game that is both good and effectively conveying a lot of the same mechanics and uh, sensibilities that you would have found in a like a PlayStation era horror game. The first clue for me that they were nailing it was the number of doors that are locked. Just inexplicably locked. <laughs> yeah. Um you're presented with a top-down perspective uh, uh, angled but top-down and you can move with analog it offers tank controls if that's your preference just to indicate that they are really taking this seriously um no thanks i'm fine that's one of the innovations that i'm perfectly happy to accept has happened and it's exploring creepy environments encountering enemies with irregular you know moderate frequency while you try to find the items that you need to put in other places in the environment to open up new areas to find new items, some of which you might have to combine. But everything's very straightforward in its puzzle design. It's rare that you're in a lot of question about what you're going to need to do, and if there is such a question, the solution is going to present itself in short order through exploration, Mm. often in the same room that you're in. And this even applies to, like, non-collect-fetch-item quest things. Like, the puzzles that are plays on classic video game and other puzzles. For example, there's one of those where you have three containers to store fluids, 
and you have to get them to have a certain amount of volume in each. Ah, yes. Um, can I just read something? Please. I took a photo of that mm -hmm. for reasons I'll get into. I mentioned earlier accessibility. Mm. Basically, uh, you know, I, I also mentioned I have ADHD at the beginning. Right. Um, and I, the way ADHD affects me is particularly bad about working memory. Mm -hmm. I put down a set of keys. Uh, I look away and they've disappeared from my brain. Um, it's even worse when I'm trying to remember specific instructions, especially when they're written like this. Um, so I took a photo, which I've been doing for a few puzzles, because like a majority of these puzzles are memory games. So, so here's the document. With tank A full, here's how to equalize the reservoir. Fill tank B, then fill tank C with water only from B. Move the water from tank C back to tank A. Fill tank C again with the remaining water from tank B. Then refill tank B from tank A. Again, fill tank C with water only from tank B. And then move it back to tank A. If you make a mistake or get stuck, just fill everything back into tank A and start over. Uh-huh. Now, Fee later pointed out that it's uh, if you think of it like a circular mm -hmm. process, it's easier to remember. But... You show that to someone with, with like, ADHD like me, and that just stops my brain working. And then I've got to try and remember it to do it without looking at the document or having to flip between, and I can't do it. The moment I'm done looking at it, I can't remember. I had to take a photo and follow the steps. That sure could have been translated into more actionable, straightforward uh, steps. And in fairness, I did myself, and I will send I will send you all this photo. I wrote down the sequence on the back of a receipt. <laughs> <laughs> but while I will acknowledge that this is a bit convoluted or frustrating in terms of its conveying the information in this style, the thing that I would point out is that in a game of its type from the era, that instruction would probably not exist at all. Well, yeah. There is an indicator elsewhere in the room that tells you you need to get both of these to 600, and that's all you would get in the original. This, at least, even in, in, in the same room, says, you know what, we know people find this puzzle in particular frustrating, we feel compelled to include it for some reason, we're going to actually just put the solution written out in the room you can reference. Yeah. Is it the most convenient description? No. Is it particularly helpful that the item is in your inventory and you can reference it, but you would have to move away from the puzzle, I think, to open up the inventory to then reference it. Mm -hmm. Not that useful. Certainly. But baby steps. Like, <laughs> Well, I get it. I mean, this is one of those things where better doesn't mean good. No. It's better than still something released in 1996. Yes. Yep. Uh, doesn't mean it's good for someone like me. No. Um, and that's one of the issues with this game. And I, I, I've resorted to just having a walkthrough open for some of the puzzles. Like, sure. Because so many of them are memory games. And I can't do, I just can't do them. Like, I'm mentally incapable of anything more complex than, like, remembering a short sequence of numbers. Which is to say nothing of some of the puzzles that are balancing numbers, because I've also got Discount Killia, hooray. Uh, so 
the vast majority of these puzzles are something I can't do without help. Yeah. And I don't feel good about that. I mean, I also struggle with short-term memory stuff. I it, I don't retain... And, and part of that is uh, video games aren't as important to me as they used to be. <laughs> and so my brain just tosses a lot of what it deems to be unnecessary information pretty much immediately. And so I... I and this even goes back to being a kid... I always had a pen and paper next to me to play video games. You know, that was always present and I would always wind up taking these kinds of notes. But at the same time, the world's changed and it's so much better now and some of this shit is just insufferable. Yeah. Um and I I I recognize that I come from a position of well, it is sort of like a nostalgia thing and introducing nostalgia to younger generations that's kind of interesting is that we want to bring along the things that we liked and show them to future generations, but we also mm -hmm. want to forget about all the bullshit that came along with that. And we have the technology. Yes. And it would just – it would be nice maybe to to find more ways because the – like uh, – why why are we celebrating the irritating aspects of it uh, and the the annoyances? Yeah. Well, some games can go too far in their desire to replicate uh, an older experience. I wish this game had a bigger inventory is another oh example of that. Yeah. Yeah, that's my other big complaint is the... And, and actually, um, and someone pointed it out to me because I was talking about the game on Twitter, the developer has acknowledged that. Uh -huh. They're looking at an update to better balance the inventory. Now, they've said that the tricky bit for them basically is it balancing it so that it's um, the inventory is better to use without uh, um, upsetting it for anyone who likes the challenge. It's not a challenge. Yeah, what challenge? We, we need to knock that on the head, yeah. this idea that... Arbitrary restriction equals uh, an edifying challenge. It's not a challenge. And maybe it, I'm just not far enough into this game yet. I've cleared the fourth floor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so like the medical wing, I guess. I could say that without any particular sports because yeah, who yeah. would know? Um, I've cleared that. Combat has only really been a necessity for me in a couple instances. I have resources aplenty. This is not challenging. It's just frustrating. Yeah. And, and like there, there's no challenge involved in going to a new area, picking stuff up, and then realizing that you, you know, your inventory spaces are all full and there's other stuff to pick up. Now you got to march back to the box. And some of them could be important resources. Like I've been engaging in combat a little bit more. I certainly wasted several bullets before working out just how many times uh, enemies will get back up off the fucking ground after you kill them unless you um, do the Resident Evil remake thing of, of burning the bodies. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, there's nothing challenging about being like, oh, here are some handgun bullets. I can't pick them up, but I don't want to leave them here and forget about them. So I'm going to trudge back through all the rooms I've already walked through, go up a ladder, go up a ladder, go up a ladder go back to the safe room and, and put some stuff in the box. Yeah, that's not challenging. Uh, it's, it's just a waste of time. I'm not sitting here thinking, hmm, how am I going to puzzle my way out of this one? It's like, no, I've just got to backtrack. It's really annoying. I, I think 
if they added just a couple more inventory slots, it would make a big difference. Yeah. Um, the other compromise, uh, and I really think this should be a thing, is if you equip an item, because some items sit in your inventory, some yes. you have a slot for equipment. I shouldn't have a very precious inventory space taken up by a flashlight. I should not. And the same goes for, like, like some people have said, well... The memory games uh, aren't as bad if you bring along the eye item. There's a there's an eye item yeah. that's basically an eye, and it's a camera, and it takes in-game photos. I, uh, that's not as convenient as just using my phone, because mm-hmm. I will have to do the thing like I did with the, the water pump document. You'd have to leave the puzzle to go into the menu to find the thing, and by the time I've navigated back, I will have forgotten it. And B, if I take the camera, that's... Any number of items I'll have to leave on the ground. Yeah. That is a slot that could be kept open in case I fight all my way through an area to find a key that I can no longer fucking pick up. The keys. That's... Like, there are so So many many fucking card keys. (laughs) How much space does a goddamn card take up in a pocket? You should be able able to have a stack of fucking cards. You know, wedge it down the neck of your shirt if you need to. Just get it in there somewhere. Ridiculous. Hold it in your hand if you must. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those are my biggest issues. But uh, otherwise, the tone is great. Very creepy. Yeah. The screams. That, that come out the enemies like is the first time that happened i literally wheeled back around and left uh, through the door i just entered in to, because it, this thing just suddenly screamed and lunged at me and i just went nope nope i need to i need to recenter myself for, Gotta before take i deal yep. with that yeah because yep. it was just a it wasn't like i jumped but i was surprised i was like whoa hang on it was like dark beast pearl in in bloodborne where the the bit that made that boss hard, even more than the mechanics, was the noise it made. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So it's got some good stuff going for it. Yeah. I like the the world building. Mm-hmm. It, it starts off a little vague with, like, who is this? Where are they? What are we doing? Um, but it does a good job of drip feeding enough to where it's like, okay, I know the main character's motivation. I get a good sense of who and what things are uh, and there's this nice sort of um stuff about capitalism in there and and sure worker abuse certainly sort of the idea of dehumanizing a workforce and and, and the way it talks about the various sort of i don't know if it's spoilery to talk about what the npcs and the protagonist sort of what their role is but the documents about the different types of people the different sort of of groups uh is really interesting i really liked reading a lot of the background lore about the characters and and the world in general yeah i'm a little annoyed about the main character's name which i think should be lester (laughs) but other than that i do really like the world building Mm -hmm. i am curious about the state authority that's at play here there is, um, there's a lot on the periphery that still needs to be filled in, and I feel like I'm only about, like, a third of the way through this, so, uh, like, it does feel like there's a, a fair way to go just based on what I've observed, but, yeah, I do like it. I think we're, I'm gonna keep playing it on stream Monday nights, because, mm-hmm. uh, my wife, Linda's really into it, too, and it, it's, it's a lot of, I, I actually like the shooting in it. It ain't bad. It ain't bad. It ain't bad. Um, it's sort of 
uh, a nice compromise between sort of um, some of the the older of the action oriented Resident Evils where you stood still to fire. Right. You do get some movement, but it's very slow. Um, and then um, you can just like fire as soon as you aim. But if you um, wait for the uh, little targeting square that goes over an enemy to shrink, uh, you can be more effective. Um, so there's a little risk reward there. The thing that the movement, the game that the movement reminded me of, and, and this may even also extend to the shooting if I'm remembering how that felt there also, but it, it, it I kept feeling uh, that Parasite Eve vibe off of it. Do you know what I'm mm. talking about? Uh, I, I never played much of Parasite Eve, but I... From what little I know, there's a certain aspect to the the movement of that character that I I feel is very similar here, and that's yeah. kind of interesting. Um, I like the reticule when you're aiming, mm -hmm. and and how it does it shrink down, and also how it indicates when hey, you know what? Don't waste your time shooting right now because it's not going to have any effect. Um, I think that's very good and helpful, and um, it, it feels good to me. Yeah. It requires precision, but it's also very accurate, and it does give a little bit of help, which is nice. So yeah, I, I think it's overall pretty good with some irritating caveats, and, and I'm looking forward to playing more and, and seeing what else it has. Yeah, I reckon I'm going to review it as well. I am enjoying it a lot. Like like you, I've got uh, some notable grievances, but it's a, a really good creepy game. It's got a nice atmosphere, nice world building. Genuinely, for, for as low detail as they are, the enemies are f genuinely unsettling. Yeah, the enemies are. I think some of the cutscene art feels a little... Eh. It's a little amateur hour. Yeah, a little bit how to draw manga, but... yes. That's perfect, yeah. Yeah, but it's but otherwise, um, visually, I think it's really, really solid. Yeah. Yes. Nice. Yes. Um, yeah. The the only other thing I've played this week, and it's going to be a quick one to sort of rattle through, is I uh, have played the first two episodes of New Tales from the Borderlands. Oh, uh -huh. yeah. Which is one of those episodic games, but they released all the episodic episodes at the same time. Uh, it is ostensibly a sequel to Tales from the Borderlands, the Telltale game, kind of, really doesn't rely on knowing that first game, and also isn't made by Telltale or the new company that's called Telltale but isn't old Telltale. It's Gearbox trying to make their own Telltale game themselves, and uh -huh. here's how I feel two episodes into it. I really appreciate how casual and not a big deal it has managed to make uh, a lot of queer uh, queer identities and relationships that has been genuinely really nice we've we've got even if minor we've got um tra trans character voiced by a trans person we've got uh we've got some 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 uh queer um sexuality on display um some non-standard relationship dynamics that's really nice i feel very differently about the two episodes i have played so far episode 1 i think is way more like way more solid than i expected it to be it has a few issues mainly that come in the the form of very handholdy by the numbers not great gameplay at times like 
there's a lot of we're trying to emulate the the non-dialogue moments of Telltale games and like not always getting it quite perfect. But like the characters who were set up in that first episode have very distinct personalities, their interactions with each other and each of their like side NPC that they are close with all feel very well fleshed out, they all make sense. I, I really enjoy these characters. The plot set up in the first episode for why each of these characters are doing the things they're doing, how they've gotten to the call to adventure, I think works really well. Found it funny, found it well paced. I genuinely think the first episode is really good. The second episode is a lot more inconsistent. I didn't dislike it, but I have some some reservations, and I really hope that the issues in episode two don't persist through the rest of the uh, the, the the episodes. Uh, my biggest problem is that one of the three playable protagonists, Fran, who is a woman who owns a Froyo shop, it got destroyed by Big Mega Corporation. Then Big Mega Corporation refused to pay out her insurance to repair it, and then it gets destroyed again by Big Mega Corporation. She's a really fun, nuanced character who has, like, a very interesting personality and way about her, but also a very justified reason for being angry and anti-corporate. Episode 2, like, really kind of flanderizes her. Like, boils her down to one very, very repetitive plot element for, like, three quarters of the episode. Most of the episode, her, her entire personality is... I want to murder them over there. Mm. Yeah. Which is so much less layered than she was in the first episode. And I'm really hoping it's something that, 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 that there are reasons for me to think maybe that is just an episode two thing from where episode two ends. And maybe that will sort itself out. But uh, that, that was my biggest problem was just that that, that second episode really sort of re removed some of the nuance that I'd been enjoying in the first. Also, really dislike that... I don't know how to talk about this in a subtle way. I think that this might be the most fucking obvious example I've ever seen of trying to keep a secret that there's a big twist coming, but making it so fucking obvious. And I, I think I can say this much. A party of three characters need to go somewhere. There is a gap to squeeze through. Two of the characters are small enough to squeeze through. One of them is not. Uh-oh. She says, I'll I'll go find my way, uh, another way around. And like, it seems like it's setting up for a party split. Fade to black. The exact next scene is them, th th them all meeting up again side. together. Ah. Yeah, it's them, all, it's them all meeting back up together. And I'm sat there going... Okay, so the one party member who was alone went and did something shady that we're not going to find out, and it's going to be a big plot twist. Like, <gasps> cool, right? Yeah, Shocking. obviously. Yeah, yeah. Like it's it was so fucking confusing in the moment because I was like, why the fuck did they make us split up? What was the purpose? What what was? And the only rationale I have is that was meant to be some big surprise moment that is just so fucking obvious. Well, maybe they'll surprise you and forget about it, and then you'll be yeah. left wondering, wait, 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 wait a minute, so that wasn't a setup? Then why did we do this? I mean, the uh, look, the only other maybe reason I can think of is that it was a lazy attempt to go, she's fat. Oof. And I don't think it's that, because I feel like if that's what they were trying to do, I feel like they would have... This is not a game of subtlety. I think if that's what they were trying to do, they'd have been obvious about it. 
all that criticism being said, I am really interested in this, and like the main reason I'm I'm like right now really eager to play more of it is if you've played Borderlands stuff before, there's a sort of expectation of what your sort of arc will be by the end of the fifth and like the final episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they get to that way, way, way earlier than expected. And I have no fucking clue what the next three episodes of this are going to be, and that's really interesting. That is, yeah, okay. It has done a really good job of of making me get two episodes into a Borderlands narrative and going, I genuinely don't know what the story is, because, huh, yeah, no, you've done a thing that no other Borderlands story has really done, and I'm, I, I am intrigued by that. So, it's showing promise, but it's like, it's, it's definitely, it's got warning signs, and I really hope it... Uh, roughs it out. Has anyone else played anything else, or should we get on to the news? I played a little Super Lone Survivor. It's Lone Survivor. That's not a bad thing. No, no. I mean, it was one of my favourite games of its time. It's a game I haven't played in many, many years. Many years. Like, what was it, 2013 or something? Yeah. This is the 10th anniversary. Of, was, oh, right. Yeah. Fuck, yeah. It's, it's, it's not been... I had enough attention paid to it for it to be called a controversy. But Jasper Byrne has added a, a, um, a warning on the page now on Steam that says definitely not recommended for 99% of owners of the original game <laughs> unless the improvements feel worth it. Because it's worth pointing out, like, this is a remaster, more or less. Yeah. There are, like, I think there's, like, a, one or two new enemies sort of hidden around. But basically the the adjustments listed uh, are deep diving for secret areas and achievements, improved presentation, a 4.3 mode and smoother parallax scrolling and controller support. Uh, There are like new shaders and things as well. So it looks a bit better, but it is lone survivor. I streamed it a little and, and yeah, I couldn't, it's been so long that I couldn't even tell you what was different at the time until I sort of saw the list and I didn't really question it um, because I was like, oh, yeah, it's Lone Survivor. I will play that again. So, yeah, I, I, it's it's good to have it on the Steam Deck and that. But definitely be aware that this is not a new game at all. I know some people were upset about that. Jasper sort of apologised on Twitter, um, didn't want to feel like he was misleading anyone, which I don't think, you know... No. He told any lies. No. Um, I do understand why someone would see a game called Super Lone Survivor and... And expect it to be... Expect more Sure, I can see that happening, but... Because, yeah, yeah. So, so it's... If you've never played it, it's so good. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's really good. So, yeah, that, that that's about it. And that that's pretty much what I've been doing um and then i I feel bad because jasper wanted it on the switch as well which was one of the things i was excited about seeing it on but he cannot get that fucking thing certified as i've speak spoke he literally just tweeted that uh says it's likely the switch release will be next year at the earliest that's worrying when you say an entire year at the earliest uh says we'll see if i feel up to it in a few months right now i need some time away so well i wish him the best because Jasper's a, a a nice fella. He is, and really cares about like that game, and really wanted me to to have a code for the new one because he said like myself and uh, you know our friend Jonathan Holmes were big, sort of like very instrumental in in Lone Survivor being successful back in the day. Um, it was back when I was influential. Mm. Oh, uh, but yeah, yeah. So so I wish him the best. I I, I know it's been 
a real pain for him getting this out. And and yeah, the the game is still great. That's it from me. Well, in that case, should we rattle through a couple of newsy bits? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, quick one that, that, that happened while we were recording. Uh, not much to say about this. Uh, PlayStation VR 2, uh, that won't play any of your original PlayStation VR games, uh, is coming in February and is going to cost $550, making oh, it more off. expensive than the PS5 itself. They can fuck off. I'm not... VR is already such a hard sell to me. But th- this is an example of what I've been saying about VR for years, is how prohibitive it is. Mm-hmm. It's, as well as people like with, with any like visual um, disabilities that, that might struggle with that, uh, people who are prone to headaches, people who, you know, um, would get motion sickness. Like, there's, there's loads of physical barriers that make VR cuts are kind of inaccessible. And then there's the price. Um, we had that with, um, I, I think it was, was it Oculus? Um, or it was the Facebook one. Uh, they increased the price of their headset yes. um, recently because of, you know, oh, economic concerns. And, and we're going to see a lot of this. We're going to see a lot of people like look at how fucked the economy is and their answer to people having less money is to charge more, um, which is just despicable. Yeah. But yeah, th- this, this, nar- this is why VR has not taken off. This is why everyone who said that VR is the future, this is why Venkachera is wrong. Because uh, like, like, it can't take off when it's this prohibitive. As someone who is a big proponent of VR being fantastic tech that I personally love, that owns multiple different kinds of VR headsets, yeah, this is a hard sell price, particularly given that... I mean, look, I don't doubt that this is going to be a higher quality of headset than something like, say, the Oculus Quest, but you could get the Quest, play standalone VR titles in it without needing to have a PS5 to run the games, or if you have a PC, have access to all the PC library. That is cheaper than the PSVR 2 is going to be. That is a hard value proposition. So yeah, now we have a bunch of a bunch of fucking Activision Blizzard King stories, a lot of which this week revolve around the ridiculous price of microtransactions um in in various projects they have. So where where should we start? Uh oh this is a fun one. Overwatch 2. Mm-hmm. It is faster to earn skins playing World of Warcraft than by playing Overwatch 2 itself. <laughs> You 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 can earn Overwatch two skins faster by playing a different video game. Fucking amazing, amazing. Yep. Um. Apparently, just grinding for in-game gold in World of Warcraft uh, and turning that into Battle.net balance is a much quicker way of earning skins than doing the weekly challenges that that Overwatch two offers you to get those cosmetics. Wow. Someone did the maths. I'll read the uh, I'll read the quote that came from this uh, from the Overwatch subreddit. World of Warcraft uh, has a system where you can purchase a token with in-game gold and convert it into battle net balance. Thirteen euros, one token. The rate isn't great at all, and unless you're really good at gold farming or just super committed to grinding, it can take a while to make decent gold. Uh, despite despite the grind, it's still worth the effort compared to the lower value that Overwatch two players can gain from the weekly challenges. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah. It it's amazing. But you can unlock everything by playing the game. Oh. Yeah. 
yeah, if you've got years, if you've got 10 years, you could unlock everything. It's just the lows to which Blizzard sink. Yeah. No individual low shocks me anymore, but when I stand back and look at the sum of all these lows, it is astounding just how far down into the gutter Blizzard dragged itself in pursuit of money. Like, the writing was on the wall when the auction house was in Diablo 3. Yeah. And and they've gotten worse and worse since then. And yeah, like, I still credit the original Overwatch, uh, or rather blame the original Overwatch for so much of the loot box yeah. craze. And Blizzard overall in being such a huge proponent in... Uh, what is essentially vandalization of the medium. I, I believe that that when you take a game and destroy the sense of player satisfaction, progress, uh, the in-game economy, uh, when you destroy all that to flog uh, as microtransactions and stuff like that, like you're you're committing vandalism. Sometimes to an entire genre if you're influential enough. Fuck, like fuck Blizzard. That they're, they're yeah. That, as exploitative as they yeah. are um and this is before we even get into the the harmful corporate culture it's had uh sort of all the abuse and everything they're irredeemable they're irredeemable indeed on the other end of video game skins news people are paying 30 30 pounds each for a single fucking call of duty skin that is an advertisement for burger king because they made a, a couple of Call of Duty Burger King locations, and people are selling Burger King branded Call of Duty skins for like 30 quid each, because people cannot resist spending money on advertising promotional material. They're, they're paying to be walking adverts. What a fucking brilliant racket this has been. Yeah. If I'm totally honest. Like, they. They found a way to get us to pay for the marketing, which has always been one of the biggest expenses. Oh yeah, like like marketing budgets are often, depending on the game, can be equal the entire budget for the actual development of said game. God bless him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one one more story about in-game microtransaction-y things. Hey, in in Overwatch two. There's like a there's like a virtual like 3D a virtual keyring charm that you can buy as a like a digital digital download. Mm-hmm. You can buy the real world charm cheaper than the digital version in game. Wait, what? Specifically, we are talking about the Overwatch Pachimari Jinx 3D keychain. Yeah. You can buy the real world keychain for five dollars. Um, it's like a little sort of onion with tentacles on a keyring. You can buy it on Blizzard's website as a physical keyring for five dollars, right? It costs more than five dollars in microtransactions, much closer to ten dollars in microtransactions to buy the digital version of the keyring to put on your character in game. It costs twice as much as the physical keyring in the real world. Fucking hell. So um, uh, <laughs> fuck video games. Yeah. Fuck up. Yeah, right. Fuck video games. We're still not done with fucking Microsoft Activision Blizzardy stories in a story that should surprise no one. But I'm always like, it's always a 
surprised somehow whenever this happens. Uh, Modern Warfare 2, the disc for that game, how much data do you reckon's on that disc in, like, megabytes, gigabytes? How how much data do you reckon's on the Modern Warfare 2 disc? See, I like I like that you've tipped your hand a bit by indicating that it could be megabytes. <laughs> it, it could, look, I'm not saying, I'd, look, it could be zero, it could be the full 150 gigs, it's somewhere in that range. 200 gigs! That's my guess. <laughs> uh, is this Price is <laughs> no. Right rules? Is, do you have to, without going over? Sure, sure. I, I, I'm going to say it is a, like, 50 meg file. You are ridiculously close, Conrad. Mm. It's 70 megabytes of data on the disk. 150 gigabytes to be downloaded online. Amazing. Fucking hell. What is this fucking... 2012. Yeah. I hope you don't have a metered connection. Mm. Yep. Yeah. So the physical disk contains 72.23 megabytes of data. That is it. It, it is a 150 gig download. Why the fuck are you buying a disk? Amazing. Yeah. So that's fun. Uh, we, we do have some updates on the whole situation around Call of Duty and, uh, the big battle Microsoft and Sony have been publicly happening about whether or not Call of Duty will stay on PlayStation long term and getting commitments to that. We do have actually a fairly like plain language, hard to wriggle out of uh, statement from Phil Spencer. Speaking to the YouTube channel Same Brain, uh, Phil Spencer said that apparently uh, Call of Duty will keep releasing on Sony's consoles as long as there is a PlayStation out there to ship to. Which seems like a far cry from the implying a few years from now it might leave the platform. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty different. Yeah. And I, it sure seems like if this was always the case, it would have been said earlier. And maybe this is a hand that was forced by, you know, going through the, uh, all the various regulation that's currently happening. But I mean, this certainly won't hurt their attempts to say to the regulators, we're not monopolizing Call of Duty. Right. Yeah. So yeah, um, I don't know if that is legally a thing at all, but that is a claim that PlayStation won't ever not get Call of Duty. Okay. Now, there's no guarantee it won't come like later or less featured or whatever, but... I don't believe anything that Microsoft says about anything. Nope. I, I mean, that is... That is fair. I'm purely giving you whatever the most recent statement is, so it is known. Lastly, before we move on from Microsoft, um, speaking of not fucking trusting them, Microsoft's board of directors has voted against indep an independent report into uh, their military contracts. Really? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Odd, odd that they wouldn't, it would only seem, you'd think that they'd want to be patriotic about it and talk about all of the ways they're helping our fine men yeah. and women ensure democracy remains, you know, our calling card. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this has all happened sort of ahead of an annual shareholders meeting that's coming up, but there was a proposal that basically said, hey, we have concerns about the ethics of the US government using potentially Microsoft-created technology and the impacts of being involved in being a shareholder for a company who might might license some of their tech to the military. 
And Microsoft has made a statement with its company's board of directors basically saying, hey, please vote against these proposals. We please don't vote to... We really... Boy, you think it? You think it's bad now. Just wait until what happens to the stock hmm. price when people find out what we've been up to. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, like, this isn't, like, necessarily uh, Xbox-specific, but obviously Microsoft, you know, is, is still uh, looped in. Uh, one of the specific uh, concerns that was raised was around um, HoloLens, the... Uh, augmented reality tech oh i remember that fucking thing yeah yeah so apparently microsoft bid for a 10 year 10 billion dollar contract with the department of defense that seemingly was to try and sell them augmented reality tech for use in war uh the board of directors uh believes that the report would uh would not advance the interests of microsoft its shareholders or any other stakeholder you don't say yeah yeah. <laughs> so so that's that's that. Microsoft doesn't want you thinking too hard about their uh their military contracts. Yeah. Uh funny that. And the last couple of stories we got before we finish off today. You know Sam Barlow? I've heard the name. The person who made her story. Yes. Makes good interesting little narrative games. Yeah. Tesla, the company, contacted Sam Barlow at some point in the past and said, "Hey, We'd like to put the video game, her story, into Teslas. So people who are in a Tesla can play her story. How much do you think Sam Barlow was offered uh, as, as 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 a financial figure to put her story in a Tesla? I bet this is going to be something fucking insulting. Yes, it is. Because I, I, yeah. I saw the headline, I know the answer, yeah. I'm not going to play, but ooh. Yeah. Are we, is it under a grand? Oh, here, here, I'll give you a hint. Uh, here, I'll give you a hint. How how much would you pay if you were a shitty gaming blog, a new <laughs> writer? What would you pay them in? Oof. Oh, fucking hell. Uh-huh. Right, you're going to have to give me the, the figure. Uh, the figure is zero. It's no! exposure. Holy fuck. Um, let me read the <laughs> tweets. Let me read the tweets. Tesla once reached out to ask her to put her story in a car. I asked how much they would pay for the license and to cover the engineering work required. They suggested zero that I consider the exposure I would get. Fuck me. Her story in a car remains one of the sillier ideas I've ever heard. It's up there. (sighs) Yeah. I don't know how much of this is a joke or not, but a response does seem to imply that Tesla also asked uh, the developer of Untitled Goose Game Ah! the same Ah! and wanted to put Untitled Goose Game in a Tesla and also offered just exposure. Amazing. So... I I believe it. I want to believe it, so I choose to until I hear otherwise. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, last little thing to finish up. You know how everyone who, like, all the game publishers that were going all in on... uh, blockchain nft bullshit for the most part have like stepped back from it and gone yeah this was not a good shout yeah Mm -hmm. yeah square enix is like continuing to double down the latest update square enix wants to make a global hit title and believes that blockchain will play a key part in the future of growth like a like cancer right i get you yeah basically their series of quotes there's quite a lengthy set of quotes but it boils down to the Japanese game buying public is not enough people to sustain buying the games we want to make at the budgets we want to make them. So, 
we need to make games for a global market that are like that sell better outside of Japan than we currently do. And the answer for that is blockchain and NFTs. Yeah. <sighs> whatever. <laughs> like whatever. Like like clearly we've got some fucking executives who and I'm convinced now that we've got executives who invested in crypto. And because that shit only works if you can pass the grift on to someone else, that's all they're doing now. Oh, fucking guarantee it, yeah. Look, and any big person who bought into Ethereum and then couldn't shift that Ethereum really wants to turn that Ethereum into NFTs and sell it on so that they can recoup that lost investment. Like, that's just the thing. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's the news this week. Yeah. That's it. We did it. Mm-hmm. That's all the thing. Good for us. Yeah. Good for us indeed. Uh, Laura. Yeah. I'll tell you what would be good for the listener is if they had some more stuff to check out. And I do believe you might be able to scratch that itch. I mean, probably. Go check out Laura K Buzz in all the places. Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, YouTube, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. Please consider a dollar a month over there. It really makes a difference. Uh, The big thing. Just go, go, go to YouTube.com slash Laura K Buzz and go check out the uh, God of War Ragnarok accessibility review that is up it is like a good 20 minute deep a deep dive into all of the settings found in the game uh which ones work well which could have been improved it is a video i i am super proud of and i really hope people check it out what about you conrad oh well you can find me at conrad zimmerman on twitter and instagram and you can hang out with me live on twitch at twitch.tv slash that conrad zimmerman you can buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at pinfultruth.com and audiobooks at conradreads.com. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon as well at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? Ooh. James Stephanie Sterling. Do it, do it, oh yeah. Do it, do it, oh yeah. You're doing a great job. Do it, oh yeah, oh, oh, oh shit, oh. Damn it, I've come again. Right? Um, <laughs> Patreon.com. I, I acted, my thumb twitched and pressed stop before the I'm sorry bit, which was my favorite bit. Um, <laughs> Patreon.com slash Jimquisition. Uh, that takes care of uh, the vast majority of, of my video game content, including this podcast. That is how you know it's me because I'm apologizing afterwards. Yeah. yeah. I figured, yeah. yeah, that would be the, 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 the telltale touch. Um, I've heard about your Telltale Touch. Hey-o. Well. Uh, where I might Right. I also stream uh, Mondays, Wednesdays, and sometimes weekends at Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. Uh, wrestling dates currently this Friday, November 4th, True Grit Wrestling in Leeds. November 12th, Newcastle, Avant Garde Wrestling. Uh, November, tw- November 19th, Spectrum Wrestling. Um, my own promotion um, our next show Kaleidoscope in Sheffield uh, tickets available at buytickets.at slash spectrum wrestling November 20th I'll be in Leicester for wrestling resurgence and currently don't have my December or January uh, slotted out but I've already got a booking on February 5th that will be Manchester for the next Sovereign Pro Wrestling show um, that's about it uh, also uh, November 10th, uh, Vampire Survivors is coming to Xbox One. 
uh yeah that's the game i i wrote for so uh do check that out and that is it thank you so much for listening uh we will see you next week uh goodbye bye bye